Hello and welcome back to the Unlocking Theatre podcast. This week we have an incredible episode for you that will send all you 90s and 2000s kids back to your childhood as we interview Kieran Joyce, star of Les Mis and of course Lol in Tracy Beaker. But first, this week's staging news. Kinky Boots is going to be streamed live this weekend for free on the What's On Stage YouTube channel. Shows such as Mamma Mia and Book of Mormon have announced their plans to reopen in 2021. On Monday, it was sadly announced that London was entering Tier 3, meaning all shows currently running on the West End were forced to close. This was heartbreaking for the industry. Come From Away have announced that on the 10th of February 2021, they will open their doors as a concert version. Bedknobs and Broomsticks, a musical, will be touring the UK and Ireland in 2021. Enjoy the episode! So can I just say hello to everyone? So we've got Alice, Bethany... Georgia, Emily. Yeah. 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 Hi, I'm Kieran Joyce and I am an actor. I started my career, sorry, I wasn't prepared. Uh, I started my career when I was uh, 11 professionally and I've, I'm now 32, almost 33. So I've been acting professionally for 22 years almost. And that's me. Do you all have to do one now? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. What have you been up to in lockdown? What have I been up to in lockdown? I've been doing some writing, actually. I've always threatened to, like, to myself to try and write something because I'm such a consumer. Like, I I get so inspired and I I enjoy watching new things so much. You know, during lockdown, I've, I've consumed more than normal. I normally leave myself an hour and a half or two hours every night before I go to bed to watch something or to listen to a podcast or something just to, as I say, I, I find it incredibly inspiring other artists. And I, I'm also very kind of opinionated in what I think is, is good and what I think works and what I think doesn't. So it was time for me, I feel, in lockdown to put my money where my mouth is. And because I could be such a, yeah, an opinionated wanker uh am i allowed to swear yeah yeah it's too late i already have um (laughs) i was like well you know this is the perfect opportunity to to sit down and and try and write something so you know it's probably crap but yeah i I wrote i wrote a uh an episode of something that i i would love to hopefully one day in a dream world make and i wrote a short play as well and now we're coming out of the back end i'm kind of doing some teaching and just doing little bits and bobs to kind of keep yourself afloat because obviously as you guys know there is um theatrically there is zero zero industry so um yeah watching a lot doing some writing doing bits of teaching is the short answer to that um have you seen any of the stream theater because obviously the national theater did some bits and other shows of release footage yes yes i have i have it's funny i enjoy i enjoyed them i enjoyed them there's something it's so difficult because i don't understand i could be critical because i'm not but there's nothing that can replicate like being in in there as you guys all know you know you're all obviously all obviously theater fans and, and don't get me wrong like some of those are brilliant streetcar is my favorite play I think and that that was a, that was an amazing production they did and but it, I, I just kept thinking watching it oh it would have been so much nicer to have been there um so as, as much as, I, as I've enjoyed the live theater streaming 
it, uh, there's also like a tinge of sadness that we're not able to actually sit there and watch them with our own eyes, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, definitely. So can we talk a bit about Le Mis at Sondheim Theatre? At the Sondheim, yes, of yes. course. What was your experience like being in the West End, do you think? I didn't do it at the Sondheim. So I did it at the Queen's uh, before it right. turned into the Sondheim. But my, I mean, I was the lamest generation in terms of that was the, the show that kind of inspired me the most as a young person to, to try and, and work in, in musical theatre. I do enjoy musicals. I'm not a crazy, super duper musical fan, but Les Mis was always the one that I, I listened to or I, or I watched um, growing up. And to then get to do it in London, which was always a, a humongous ambition of mine, was it was unbelievable, Emily. Like, I wish I could articulate it better. Like, there are moments in your career where you, you, you do things that you, you may have dreamt of doing that you never think are going to happen and all of a sudden bang you there. Uh, and it, it's quite surreal actually, because I was such a fanboy of the show. And as I say, like growing up watching the 10th anniversary at the Albert Hall, um, my uncle was in the show in the early nineties. So I remember going to see it when I was about seven and just being like, what is this? And there was swearing in it, which like when you're seven was like the best. Um, <laughs> And then t to get to be in something that I admired for so long was incredible. And, and it, it was, it was, it sounds incredibly corny and I hate myself for saying this, but it was a, it was a dream come true. Yeah. What was it like when all the theatres started shutting and people were getting told, you know, we might not be coming back. What was that terrifying, like? Terrifying. I just think that, you know, London is, I, I've been extremely lucky to travel in my life, in my career. I've managed to go all over the world with, with certain jobs. And I, and I love traveling. Traveling is a massive passion of mine. And, and being a city boy, I was you know, born and bred in Cardiff and then moved to a bigger city. I, I love experiencing cities in different countries just to see how they operate. And London for me is the greatest city in the world. And part of London's identity is its theatres. Like it's it, it's 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 just in its DNA. It's that that's what kind of is one of the heartbeats of the city. And I'm so sad talking about it. Um, it yeah, it was terrifying. And it's it's the fact that hundreds of years of tradition and incredible incredible shows and incredible plays and incredible artists, writers, directors singers, musicians, set designers, sound designers, lighting designers, all unemployed in tw like 24 hours, bang, done, gone, was terrifying. And that's, that's the only word I can use. I'm sorry, I wish I could, I could, uh, wait, wait, was for someone like myself, and it's scary for everybody, but like personally working in the arts has been my life's work. And for it to be taken away so quickly and so swiftly, with no kind of end goal or end finish line in sight and piss poor governmental help, it has been, it's, it's frightening. Yeah, it's frightening is the only word. Ter terrifying and frightening. Um, did you watch the staged version of it? The concert? Yeah. I was in it. Yeah. So uh, that was like <sighs> in incredible. To, to be a part of like again that was another one where you know you just you grow up watching a 10th anniversary like the Albert Hall and then all of a sudden you get asked to be in one it's like you, you everything you ever dreamed of 
all of a sudden you're then stood on the stage with other actors from the show in its in its history that you've admired like watch growing up and watching Michael Ball on the 10th anniversary and all of a sudden I'm like stood next to him doing one day more was like wow <laughs> like you know like what is what is this sorry I forgot did I watch sorry I didn't understand the question did I watch it yeah because I is it weird like watching yourself back or would you be like no I can't watch that oh I see what you mean so I thought you meant like did I go and see it no sorry <laughs> sorry my fault oh oh the Amazon the Amazon thing yeah. okay yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, I watched it. I got, I got like proper emotion. So again, because I was such a crazy fanboy, I went to the cinema the week after. So they, they, we did that that final performance on the Monday, which was broadcast to cinemas across the country. And a week after that, they did like an encore screening. So I went on my own to this like little cinema in Fulham, and. Um, when the universal thing came up, like, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to watch myself in like the cinema. And it was, yeah, it was, it was surreal. It was surreal to, to see yourself in something you've admired for so long with, you know, I, I, I'm really, really close with some of the guys in it as well. Like me and Bradley, uh, I'm, I'm one of Bradley's best men at his wedding next year. So like to, to be on stage with someone you, you uh, have such a close relationship with personally and see them do so like Bradley was unbelievable in it. So there's like a, a massive amount of pride, like Raymond who plays Grant here, me and Ray have been friends for best part of 10 years. So then to like do the concert with Ray as well was incredible. Kieran Bowling, who, you know, was one of the swings on the concert I did the show with at the Queen's for two years. He's like my little brother. We call each other brother. I kind of was more proud watching my friends than me. Like when I came on, I was like, oh, fuck off. No, <laughs> like, you know, I, I'm not a massive fan of watching myself. I kind of get, I kind of, I'm really British and awkward and go like, oh, nah. Away. Whereas watching my friends do incredible, incredible work, and you know, lovely Shan. Shan is such a one of the sweetest girls you'd ever meet in your life, and you know that was her first gig. So to see her like shine like that and just absolutely crush it was was amazing. And, and yeah, to to go from watching Michael at the tenth anniversary, and I used to rec- I used to record him. I had a talk boy, which was this. I don't, don't know if any of you guys would be old enough to remember what a talkboy was, but it was this um, this little device that was in Home Alone that you could record things with and then play it back through like a speaker. It was this big old 90s bit of kit. But I would record Michael doing empty chairs on that from the 10th anniversary when I was a kid. And then I would hit play and like mouth it back to myself in the mirror when I was like six or seven. So to, to then see him and be in it with him was, was incredible as well. It was all, it was all, it was bloody incredible. <laughs> What's I've your favourite part? Sorry. That's great, that's fine. What's your favourite part of working in the West End? What's my favourite part about working in the West End? The food options. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, do you know what it is? It's great. It, that's one of the great things about working in town is that like if you haven't brought your own lunch, there's just so much food to choose from. But I should probably give you a more theatrical answer than that, shouldn't I? Uh, <laughs> what's my favourite thing about? I, I just think this, the standard. I think because I grew up playing sport my entire life, and I almost treat my career in the arts a bit like sport in 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 a sense of like I'm quite competitive, and I think like you look at any great sporting sides, they always want to play the best teams to see how good they really are. And for me, I enjoy working in 
the West End because it's one of the pinnacles of theatre. And, and I enjoy working with the very best in all departments, not just, you know, the people on the stage. Like, you know, everybody in that building is, is world-class at what they do. And I just think, again, I get incredibly inspired by people who are brilliant at what they do and are passionate about it. So I think the best thing about working there is working, you're, being, you're surrounded by people who are the best around at their job and they have worked so hard to get there and you get to see their brilliance daily. Um, it is, is probably my favourite thing, yeah. You did the international tour of Les Mis, didn't you, as well? Yes. How do you find the show translates in other countries? Because I think it's, it just feels like such like a British show. How do other countries kind of react to it? You know what? They love, they love it. They love it. And I, I was lucky with that tour that the first place we went to Manila, I, I, I don't know if this is correct, I think it is, but the show had never been there. I don't think Limits had ever played Manila. And obviously it's got a history with Filipino performers, with Leah and Rachel. And we, we did the show with Rachel Ango, who, who, who's a huge star there. And they loved it. And I think the thing with going to like the Philippines with it, they'd heard it for so many years that they kind of probably built it up in the head of what it was going to be. So there was actually a lot of pressure. I, I, thought, I thought, I was like, you know, we, these people have heard this soundtrack. I've heard all these stories about this amazing show. And now they finally get to see it after waiting 25 years or 30 years or however long they've waited. We have to deliver what they've been building up in their heads. I've gone off on a tangent again. What was the question? Just how does it translate? How do they kind of oh, react to it in different countries? Fine, fine. They, they love it. They love it. I mean, you get, you get laughs in weird places sometimes. So like in, in the Philippines, when the Marius Cazette bump would happen in Paris, you know, when he bumps into, mm-hmm. I didn't see you there. They would all giggle. <laughs> like like this, this unanimous giggle. And because the houses you play on those international tours of the bigger productions, like the Lamies and the Phantoms and the Saigons, you play bigger houses than you play in London because obviously you play the small, you know, theatres in town. They're quite, they're quite small. They're not really designed for these big, super duper musicals. Whereas they have such a fan following. I think the in Singapore, the capacity of the theatre is like three and a half, four thousand. Big house. Uh, but no, tr- fine. Translate is absolutely fine. Um, there are some cultural things. I, I, when we were in Singapore, we had to take out something from the show, which was uh, a little, which was deemed controversial in Singapore. I don't think it was, but uh, there we go. Um, but on the whole, no, they love it. They love it. I think the, the film has helped because obviously that reaches a wider audience as well. And those songs are so, they're just so universal. You know, mm-hmm. like you, you hear those songs and even if they're in a different language, I, they're so beautifully written and the message in them is so strong and so clear that they translate, even if they might not necessarily speak the language that we're singing in. Yeah. How do you find being on tour? Because obviously you're kind of going to countries that maybe you've not been before that you have to adapt to and be doing like an eight show week. I love it. I love it. Yeah, like, I mean, as I say, I, I love a good adventure. I love an explore. Um, and I love experiencing new cultures, new food. I mean, there are obviously, you know, there are, there are different kind of levels of touring you can do. In my career, I've been extremely lucky to tour, you know, Asia and the United States. Um, I, I can understand how it can be maybe a bit taxing if you're doing like a UK tour and just sitting down one week, you know, one week in Sunderland, then one week in Carlisle, then one week in Aberdeen. I can understand why people are going, that's a, that's a, that's a slog. But um, the great thing about 
you know, working for Cameron McIntosh is that, you know, he really looks after you when you, when you go abroad or go on his tours, you know, we stay in nice hotels. I feel very, very privileged to, to, to have done it. Um, so for me, I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. And, and it's, it's nice to see people who are from a completely different background of culture and you have this common thing of like, do you love this show? Oh my God, I love it as well. Like, oh yeah, and that bit and that bit. Oh yeah, it's so beautiful, isn't it? And you're worlds away from one another as people, but you have this common interest of this beautiful piece of theatre that brings you together. And I think that's the beauty of something like Les Mis and why it's so universally loved and it's so special is because it brings people from so many different backgrounds and cultures together for this common love of it. So I, I, I love it, mate, yeah. Yeah, what's the what's your favourite place to go to on tour? What was my favourite place? <sighs> San Francisco. I didn't go to San Francisco with Les Mis, but I went to San Francisco with a play, and San Francisco was incredible. I was there in 2010 uh, for about eight, nine months, and San Francisco is just such a beautiful city. It's built onto the water, the California, so the weather's good, the food's good, everyone's super chill. Um, it's, uh, it's beautiful, but with Miz, I really loved Singapore. Singapore is cool. Really, really cool. It's kind of got this beautiful balance of Asian culture, obviously, because it is in Asia, but there's such a massive expat European community there that, you know, it, it's kind of got a European vibe to it in certain places as well. Um, it's so, their culture is so respectful and so polite and so safe and it's so clean and it's just Singapore is uh, is one of my favorite places in the world uh, so I was lucky yeah to go on tour there with me so I would say San Francisco or Singapore I would echo Singapore oh. as well I've been to Singapore twice and I I feel like I could live there I feel like I could yeah it's great isn't it cool yeah it I was going to talk a little bit about Tracy Beaker because obviously you played yeah. a lot back in the day yeah. What was it like sort of working on such a sort of impactful show at such a young age? I mean, it's funny. I get, I get asked that quite a lot and you don't really get the impact of it when it's like, te- I don't know if for me, I couldn't really gauge it because I was a, I was so young and B because it's television and this is before social media. Yeah. I was never really aware. It's only now in the last couple of years that people like adults go, oh my God, man, I fucking love that shit, like that. And then, and then, then they read, like, they, they could tell me lines back and they could tell me episodes. Like some people give me episodes, like they're like, remember that episode? I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, like I, I, there's some stuff I don't remember. So in terms of the impact of the show, it's only now that I'm kind of really realizing how big it really was. And I think when you're in something pre-social media age, I don't think you can ever really gauge it if that makes sense a part of me well actually not a part of me uh, all of me is very glad that I was involved in something like that before social media because I feel like you know the social media aspect of things when you do you know high profile things can be as detrimental as it is positive so to answer your question I never really could see the impact the show had and because I, I I I'm not, I'm, I'm quite chatty Cathy, but I, I'm not crazy with attention. So like, I'm quite confident in, in company and talking to people and, and, and getting to know people, but there's something about someone going, oh my God, like you're that guy that makes me kind of go, ah, and like mm. feel a bit uncomfortable. 
I had a taste of that limelight and I kind of shied away from it in my early 20s because it was something I wasn't um, hugely comfortable with. So I think that probably had a, an impact on my uh, kind of view on the impact of the show, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's only, as I say, it's only now that I realised that it, it, it brought so many people so much joy and and how relatable it was. I, like, I didn't realise again until I'm out how relatable some of the characters were to young people because I was a young person. So you don't have that perspective of, oh, maybe I'm inspiring this person or maybe this lad from Liverpool is relating to my character's story. Like you don't really have the capacity to think like that when I think you're 13, 14 and you're involved. So yeah, I mean, the impact that I see the show has had now is, is, uh, is lovely. I think even as a viewer, if you go back and watch it now, being a bit older, you kind of see it in a slightly different way as well. You kind of take away different aspects of the show and it's a lot sadder than I remember. It's a little bit ahead of its time. Yeah. You know, like I, 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 I get told about some of the storylines and, and I obviously remember it. Um, you know, I remember filming certain bits of it and I remember sitting down and like being excited to watch it and being like, oh my God, I'm going to be on telly. But I, I, there's, there's some parts where you think it, it, may, it may have been slightly ahead of its time, Tracy Beaker. Uh, some of the, the issues that it, it touched upon and, and, and some of the, some of the, the storytelling, you know, was, was quite, was quite, not, I wouldn't say heavy, heavy is the wrong word, but, you know, was, was quite real, you know, and I think it, it was a, it was a real gentle introduction to young people uh, of of some real issues that, that you can kind of come across in life, you know. Definitely. What drew you to acting at such a young age? A <sighs> <Never> show off. <laughs> um, and I went, as I say, my uncle was in Les Mis in the early nineties, so I went to see that, and that was the light bulb moment for me. It was I remember going to the palace? It was at the Palace Theatre then, and I still remember it. I remember the smell. It was this this smell where you could. The, it was the makeup. You could smell the stage makeup, and I don't know why, but it was there was just this smell in the theatre and just this this feeling of like anticipation. And, and I'm still, as an adult, quite perceptive to energy now. Like I, I can, you know, people don't necessarily have to say things before I can kind of suss out what they're going to say or how they're feeling. Uh, and, and I must have had that as a child because this sense of anticipation, I just, the buzz in the room, just, I was like, man, this is amazing. I said, to, apparently I said to my nan, because my, my grandmother took me and uh, I'd been to a, I'm a, as I say, I'm a huge sports fan and I've been to a football match at Old Trafford a couple of weeks before, which is this big old stadium. And apparently I said to my nan, nan, there's more atmosphere here than there is at the football, uh, which I don't remember saying, but apparently I did. So I think it was that, it was the whole excitement of it. It just felt so new and so, the energy was so palpable. And then when I saw Gavroche as a seven-year-old seeing like a 10-year-old on stage, I was like, oh my God, you can do that? You know, it, it, it really was like the light bulb and bing, that, that's, what, that's what I want to do. And just seeing everybody captivated by the show, so that's what kind of started my journey. So then, when I went home, I got out the uh, the trusty talk boy, and uh, I recorded all of the Gavroche bits from the tenth anniversary, and I would just work them, work them. I would st- stand on my mum's bed because she had these big old like wardrobe mirror things, and I, I, I'd stand on the bed and I would like play hit play on the talk boy and, and just 
copy all the Gavros stuff, like all the actions in the middle. And I would do this girl. I can't believe I'm a bit in this, but I would do it for hours, like hours. And then it took me a couple of years and then I built up the confidence and then I'd sing along and then I keep doing it, keep doing it. And it was just this, that was the draw. It was like, you know, that was the main inspiration and draw. And I was like, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. Wow. That was a good answer. <laughs> Did you learn any techniques from TV that you use in theatre? That's a really good question. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, they're very, very different animals. Yeah. Very, very different animals. And the disciplines are completely different. And I, I, my favourite actors can do both because it is incredibly hard to do both. Because as I say, they're so very different. I feel, personally for me, I feel like... I take more from the the theatrical process into TV because I, I've never worked on a TV show where you have a load of time. It's mm-hmm. always that, right, get on set, shoot the scene, get it in, come on, we've got to go, we've got to shoot this space, you've got to shoot this space. I'm sure on the big end, high budget stuff, like films where you're only shooting a couple of pages a day, it's very different, but I've never worked on those. So I, I feel like it's the other way around. So you learn to build character in the rehearsal room and, and, and add layers to it and, when you're doing a play or you're doing a musical or whatever. And I feel like the more you do that, the, the, the better you get it. And then when you go onto a TV set or you get a TV meeting or whatever, because you have practice in the theatre building characters, you can do that quicker Yeah. the more practice you have. So I, I, I personally find that the skills from theatre to TV are a little more transferable than the other way around. But that's, that's, just, that's just me. Do you keep in touch with any of the cast or crew from Tracy Beaker Days? got asked this again the other day little bits and bobs i mean it's a bit like i compare it to your school your high school friends mm-hmm. so like you know you'll have these bonds with people in high school who you think oh, oh my god they're like my best friend never um but you know life takes you in different directions and you you have different aspirations like i speak to dan every now and then obviously she's a mum now and she's spinning multiple plates uh, with her school and now they're going to shoot another series which obviously she'll be prepping for yeah. so I speak to her every now and then yes and no, no. and again it's it's no it's through no like fallout or anything it's just you know life takes you in different directions I speak to Craig every now and then uh just the odd message and you know he's a super duper Hollywood film director now so he's incredibly busy too uh I sh- share the odd message on Instagram with Chelsea because she's she does her, her health thing which is incredibly inspiring as well so y- yes I know you know as I say li- life kind of takes you in different directions and, and people have different priorities and their families and all that stuff so yes I know definitely and just the last one if you could have played another character in the show who would you pick and why oh, oh Justine without a doubt oh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and Moni Moni was so good at that Moni's a cracking actress and she would play that bitch so well and I just I just remember being like you know 15 16 and and getting pages and just seeing some of the lines they'd write for money and I'd be like oh that is a zing you know uh so yeah probably probably um Justine Littlewood beautiful yeah I have one more Tracy Beaker question quite possibly my favourite episode ever is the musicals episode of Tracy Beaker. Do you remember anything from that one? Yeah, series four. Is that We Are the Heavy Lads? Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 2004, 16 years ago. What do I remember about that? I was actually, I was on the phone to Nisha. Do I saw you all go, then that was brilliant. <laughs> 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 that 
was absolutely brilliant. That's made my morning. <laughs> Not laying the pain. Oh my god! It was a laying the pain. Let me tell you. <laughs> I remember watching Nisha shoot her bit. I think she's coming. Is she coming down the stairs? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Alice knows. Alice like, yeah. I know. <laughs> Yeah. Can you give us any of the songs, Alice? Because I, I forget. This. Hers was, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to sing. Um, <laughs> Every girl deserves a pretty pink dress. That was her one. Pretty pink dress. Okay. And she, like, Anything less would fail to impress. <laughs> you Everybody guys know all it. the words. This is amazing because I yes. can't remember that song whatsoever. Okay, can we have like a unison after three and s- you can all sing together so no. I can hear it? Absolutely not. We'll talk the lyrics <laughs> for sure. Okay, talk talk the lyrics. Three. Go on, two, Alice. Start us one, off. Start us off. Go. Every girl deserves a pretty pink dress. Anything less would fail to impress. Impress. And it's like I so you'll insist. be a, you'll be a stunner at every function, the bell of the ball at every class junction, <laughs> um, every posh luncheon. Sorry, every posh luncheon. A pretty pink dress is top of the list. <laughs> Then she's like, I so insist. Something, I something, so... I so insist. Yeah, I so insist, I so insist, I so insist. Does she say that like a couple of times? Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. So I remember Nish, I, I remember watching Nish. She, I remember she, they were filming that because we used to shoot it in like the height of summer because obviously we were all kids. So, we, you know, you, you try and do it in the summer holidays when you didn't, you didn't have, there was obviously laws where you have to be tutored and you have to have a certain amount of hours to be tutored. And, you know, yeah, that could be a nightmare uh, in terms of getting stuff done. And I remember that because they blacked out all the windows. It was like two o'clock in the afternoon and they had to make it look night. Um, what else do I remember? I remember they had to be, because some of those songs were animation and they weren't supposed to be. It's a bit of inside gossip. Um, but I don't remember why. I remember that, that, that they wanted to do more with that episode and, and, and it, unfortunately it didn't happen for some reason. I don't know why. But... That was, I remember us all getting the page. Because wasn't it Tracy's dream? Was that Tracy's dream or something? Yeah. She hit her head? Yeah. yeah. It was the one yeah. where she had a nightmare and then Cam was like evil. And she was oh, going to like... Yeah. <laughs> she oh, was gonna put yes, with- yes, yes. She was like a Cruella de Vil kind yeah. of character. Yeah, Lisa. She's another one girl's absolute top draw. Got all the time in the world for Lisa Coleman. Yeah, uh, what do I remember from it? I, I remember being a little bit excited because I was like a secret like musical theatre fan. Because again, singing was something that and I'm still like m- hugely insecure about and, and I, even more so then. So like, I was like, oh, I get to do a bit of a sing. <laughs> you know, um, so I think there was probably like a tinge of excitement, a massive thing of fear. Uh, and I remember some of the episodes uh, being shot. Yeah, mm-hmm. some of the scenes being shot. We're going to mix it up because basically we normally ask quick fire questions and then they last about, I don't know, an hour. So we're we're just going to set a timer for two minutes and I'm going to ask you as many questions as possible. So I'm going to get into trouble if I haven't got time to think because my filter's not great anyway. So I'll probably say something might have to edit out. Three, two, one, go. Theatre or TV? Theatre. One word to describe your career to date. Fun. Dream theatre to work in. National. Dream role to play. Mr. Sloan. First thing you saw on stage that had a big impact upon you. Les Miserables. If you could travel back in time to see any production of any show, what would it be? I would love to have seen uh, Richard Harris or Peter O'Toole in something. Mm. Night in or night out? 
Night in. West End or tour? West End. Dream castmate? Mark Rylands. Dogs or cats? Cats. A show you wish more people saw? Dogfight. A cast recording you're listening to at the moment? I'm not. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Someone who inspired you growing up? Sport. Something to do with sports. Uh, a sportsman. Um, God, I'm rubbish at this. Who inspired me growing up? It's quite a big question. James McAvoy. James McAvoy was a huge the inspiration best. when I was a teenager. Nice. The best set you... He's not a sportsman, you know, the actor. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fast life. Um, the best set you've ever performed on. Oh, you said something else then. Um, the best set you've ever performed on. Um, um, the best set I've performed on. Set. Are you all giggling at my really naff hearing? Oh, no. <laughs> um, what's the best set? The best set. <laughs> Young Dracula was a great set because we were in a castle. Oh, yeah. Where did you film that? Uh, we shot that in Caffini Castle in Wales. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, beautiful. That, that's it. That's two minutes right. gone. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was rubbish. I was like thinking for so long. You did 14 questions. That was impressive. Did we? Yeah. Oh, okay. One last question that we ask is we ask yeah. each person that comes on to put a musical theatre song into a big playlist we're going to create. So which song do you want to put in? I'm going to have to write it down. Girls, you're going to have to come up with yours as well because I know I didn't remind you. So I've got mine. There's a fly. There we go. Oh, I mean, there are so many great songs. I would probably say my favourite. Oh, there's so many. Can I, can I name a couple and then I'll pick one and I'll give you the reasons as to why I think... I'm yeah. obviously slightly biased. My, probably my, one of my favourite musical theatre songs of all time is Movie In My Mind by Rachel and, and um, Eva. I think that song is just a brilliant song and it breaks my heart. There's this saying in, like, in theatre or you hear I heard this saying a lot growing up and in work where they go people say oh you know their voice really hit the, hits the back of the room and I remember being like what the fuck does that mean like we're all mic'd and then I saw Miss Saigon and I saw Rachel Ango sing movie in my mind and I was like that's what it means and then when mm -hmm. I worked with her I was a bit like star I was such a fanboy like I get a bit like if I if I work or meet people I admire I'm like oh so how weather's nice isn't it like, I just feel so weird and awkward and like just an absolute tit. That would be up there. The movie. Again, I'm so biased to Claude Michel and Alain. I think Valjean's Soliloquy is an unbelievable song. Bit of Lame is knowledge for you guys if you don't already know this, I'm sure you might, but the original production of Lame is that was in French that Cameron McIntosh heard before he brought it over to the RSC. The show started with At the End of the Day. That was the opening number of Les Mis, mm. um, because the novel was so famous in France that they all knew the kind of story. So they knew, you know, the kind of build up to that moment. So they wrote the prologue at the RFC and then, you know, obviously Valjean Soliloquy was written in there. Uh, so I think that's up there. Uh, it sounds like I'm just naming shows I've done. Musical theatre songs. I love Quiet from Matilda. <gasps> I love that. Song. But... I would have to go, my favourite ever song is probably Finishing the Hat uh, from Sunday in the Park with George. I just think that's an unbelievable song, the Mandy one. 
I just, yeah, I, I'm going to go with, yeah, Sunday in the park with George finishing the hat. Okay. Um, Bethany, what are you going to put in this week? I'm going to go for Wicked and for Good. <gasps> Alice? I'm going to go for uh, Dentist from Little Shop of Horrors. Um, no reason. Beetlejuice. <gasps> Been weird to put that in. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do it, girls, and I'm gonna go stop the world from coming from away because been waiting to go in, hasn't it? I loved yeah. that. I went to see that at the oh, end of last year, no. and Thacker was in it. Um, and David Thaxton, girls, is one of the nicest guys in yeah theatre. Uh, he's a he's a he's a good mate of mine, Thacker, and he's so brilliant. And he he uh, he was in it, and. I absolutely loved that. I thought it was unbelievable. Welcome to them. Great. See, girls, every episode we've managed to get Come From Away in there somewhere, don't we? <laughs> Are you a huge Come From Away fan, Georgia? I love it. I think it's absolutely, I think it's genius. Yeah, I think I... it's very, very, very clever. Like, can you imagine trying to work out where to put all those fucking chairs? Can you say that? Chairs? I've said about the chairs. We're um, interviewing... Like, when, David, when I met David afterwards, I was like, how on know, earth... I was like, how'd you get about that? He's like, oh, mate. He said, you get it. We're you do, you get it. Oh, I didn't say, I would have said something from once. I loved once. I would have put a, maybe put a song in from once because, I, you know, I went to, talking of Come From Away because Once was at the Phoenix as well. And I went to go and see Once on my own on a Monday night, like an absolute loser. <laughs> uh, I got like a cancellation, like return 20 quid ticket. And I cried like a fucking baby <laughs> on my own, like in the stalls, just like, <laughs> so, so <laughs> Like, I remember leaving the theatre going, you need to get a life key, mate. <laughs> you can't be crying on your own in the Phoenix Theatre on a Monday night. <laughs> what are all your favourites, girls? I, you know, I haven't asked you any questions. What are all your favourites? I'll ask you in order you're in my... So, Emily, you're first on my... Oh, God. So I've got Emily, Georgia, Bethany, then Alice. Next to normal. Oh, I yeah. saw that. I saw the original cast do that in the Please. States. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Right, I went to see that because they they did a run in Los Angeles, and I was working in Los Angeles, uh, so I went to see Alice and Aaron and all of those guys. My heart just stopped and... for a second there. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, mate, and I didn't know much about it. I knew my friend. I was doing, I'd done a play the year before. My friend David Poyner, who's an actor, had gone to see it in New York and he came back and he knew I was, you know, I, I like musicals as well. And he was like, Joycey, mate. Everybody calls me Joycey who I work with. I don't know why, but they do. No one I grew up with called me Joycey. Everyone called me Kira. But now in my professional life, I was like, Joycey. Anyway, so he was like, you've got to see this show called Next to the Normal if you go to the States. So I'm like, yeah, you know, great. And I try not to listen to the soundtracks of things before I see them. I did with Hamilton because I knew... Obviously, there's a lot of information in there, uh, and anybody I know that's not that's going to see Hamilton that doesn't isn't aware of it. I'm like, you should probably listen to the soundtrack because otherwise, mm. it's just information, 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 information. Anyway, so I went to see it in Los Angeles, and when she come out with the cake, yeah, and like he's not here. I was like, it's devastating, isn't it? Literally, like the pit, the theater was deathly silent, and I was mm. like, oh my fucking god, he's dead. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Georgia, what's your favourites? Do you like how I've just taken over the podcast now and I'm yeah. asking the question? You're the horse now, go on. Um, yeah. It's got to be Come From Away. I just, there is not a show on this earth that I love more than that. Yeah. 
And I just think it just proves that, like, with some chairs and a good cast, it just proves what you can do. With chairs and David Thackson, you can do anything. Yeah. It's just genius. Nice. Did it take you a while to tune into the dialect? Because I was like, where the fuck are these people from? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that gander. Yeah, but I remember watching it and thinking, has Rachel Tucker just kept her Irish accent? Because it sounded really Irish as well. Yeah, yeah. I didn't it see Rachel. Sound... I saw I saw the cover and she was unbelievable. Mm, they are the standbys in that show have having to know different tracks. Just the, the standbys in in London again. I think mm. this, what we were talking about earlier when you were saying about one of my, what's my favorite thing to, to about work in the West End. The talent, mm. the talent of people, the pool of talent is insane. I remember going to see Hamilton and Giles wasn't on for Burr. And his cover, who was, I forget his name, South African gentleman, who then did take over. He yes. was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I watched it and I was like, you're the cover? You know? And I mean, obviously, Giles is, is world, world class. As was, I think, I forget. I don't want to mispronounce his name. I can't remember his name, but he was so good. And just being in buildings with those people, is, is again it's I, I know I sound a bit like a wet weekend but it's so inspiring to see people who are so good I get I get so excited by talent like I'm lit like there's a funny story about when we were doing dogfight I would watch because I thought Laura Jane was who's still a good friend of mine who played um Rose did you, did you guys did any of you guys see that at the Southern Playhouse no dogfight. I think so it was Laura was Laura was out of this world good and all my fellow castmates used to take the mick out of me because apparently in the rehearsal room i didn't even know i was doing it but when she did pretty funny i, I was like in the corner just like just watching that just like <laughs> hanging off every word it's yeah it's it's such a it's so sad that all these places are closed and all these brilliant people are, are not working oh anyway sorry so come from away yes uh bethany mine's a tie between blood brothers and waitress which okay. They're nice. both quite miserable in a way, but I just, a Blood Brothers just does something to me and I can't explain <laughs> it. Like, ever since I saw it, when we studied it at school for English literature, yeah, I was on the curriculum, yeah. yeah. I, I think there's not a show out there more that needs an update. If you could update that mm-hmm. and just kind of modernise it, change the orchestration, couple of little rewrites... Because I agree, I think it's an amazing story, mm. um, and it's funny, and it's sad, and yeah. it's relatable. And like, I'm a working class lad from a city, so like, I could relate so much to it. So I was the same. I remember we had to go and see it for a school trip because it was on our it was on our curriculum in Wales as well. Um, English English literature. That's ironic. English literature. <laughs> um, and I agree. I, I think it's wonderful, and I I just I just I hope that someday someone gets hold of it and it manages to because it's, it's not bad by any means but it could be so much more it. like so much yeah. kind of mm, I agree and wait oh that's another song I could have put in from Waitress I love it's that simple to say what's that called she okay. used to be mine she used to be mine it's already stunning in song. It, you put it in there last week Bethany it's already in there <laughs> oh good call that's a, and, and Lucy Jones singing that oh my good god amazing yeah absolute pipes pipe it's just like oh it just breaks your heart it just breaks your fucking heart what a song good choice uh alice 
I have, I think I have two. It's between Matilda. I absolutely love Matilda. And a less well-known one, Curtains, the musical, I absolutely love as well. Yeah, Curtains is good, man. I enjoy Curtains. I went to see Curtains in Melbourne, randomly enough. When I did the International Image Tour, our Valjean was played by a wonderful man called Simon Gleeson, who is a phenomenal actor. Mm. Um, Simon Gleeson is one of, he's the epitome of leading man, this guy, Simon Gleeson. He, he, he did Valjean in London, actually, the year before I went into the Queen. So he did it after we did the international tour. He played Valjean at the Queen's in 2000, I want to say 16, and it's 2016 again, 2017. And he's the epitome of gentleman. He's, he's that guy who kind of keeps an eye on the company, kind of goes a bit himself and just like, okay, you going, mate? You all right? Um, but he, when, I, when I joined the, the international cast, it was a half-formed company because there was the Australian production that they merged with a couple of Brits um, that we then opened the show in Manila. Day one, you all sit around the piano and they're like, right, we're just going to sing the show. And I'm shitting myself with nerves because... I've wanted to do this my entire fucking life, adult life, like from watching Les Mis as a kid and then being in it and watching the ABC cafe. My dream was to always be in the ABC cafe. I've got another story about that. Shall I just shut up or, uh, sorry, this is going to be like nine hours long. No, it's um, fine. Right. So Simon Gleeson, Curtin, right, where am I going with this? So Curtin, <laughs> Simon Gleeson was Valjean, international tour. He's a legend. He then went and did like curtains, but it's this theatre group in Melbourne where they only get like two weeks to rehearse. So he played the lead guy in curtains with all that dialogue and all those songs and stuff. And he got to rehearse for two weeks. Oh, that's nice. And he was flawless, flawlessly good. Uh, what was the other one? Sorry, Alice. Uh, Matilda. I love Matilda. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. yeah. It's beautiful, isn't it? That, that yeah. number where they, they put the... Yeah, yeah, the school the song. I, I... Oh, Remember They're watching so that good. Just... It's the trunchbull. So I love, I love the trunchbull. The bit where he flips over the entire like gymnasium set. That bit every time. I'm like, that's so mm. good. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. When, when did I see that? I saw that. I saw it a while ago. Matilda. I met Tim Minchin, right? So this is a funny story. So when when I was working on that that tour in the US, we went to Chicago. And um, I used to, I, I'm a real old man now. I don't go out, I don't drink, I don't party or anything. But in my 20s, I was like, I used to love a party and a beer and a night out. And um, we were doing this play in Chicago. And in the summer, Chicago was really super humid. So like it's warm in the evening. So everyone kind of wears their shorts and their vests out and whatever. And Chicago is a big party town and it has a, a drinking license to like five in the morning. So this was 2009. 10, 2009, 2010. Anyway, so there was this, there's this one bar in Chicago that's later, that's open an hour later than everywhere else, open to like five, sorry, and everywhere else open to four. So at like four o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night, there's like this pilgrimage of drunk people to this one bar. So I'm walking across this bridge with my mate and I'm, I'm a bit boozy. And I literally, this guy bumps into me and I'm like, oh, sorry. And it was Tim Minchin. But I wasn't that aware of who he was at the time because this was pre-Matilda and obviously he was known for being a stand-up comedian who kind of played the piano. Well, that's why, how I knew him anyway. So I went, oh, my, mate, you're the guy. You're the, you're the comedian. And he was like, that, yes, that's why I'm the comedian. And I was like, man, like, you fucking what? What the fuck? 
are you doing here? And he's like, oh, uh, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And he's like, what are you, what are you doing? Are you British? I said, oh, I'm, I'm doing a play. I'm, you know, I'm doing plays. I'm here from London. He was like, oh, great. He said, actually, I'm, I'm working on a musical at the moment. And I said, oh, nice one, man. Good luck. And that musical happened to be then Matilda. Wow. That's great. Well, it must have been. I mean, I, I'm, putting, I'm putting two and two together there and could be coming up with five, but I'm pretty sure the time works out that it, mm-hmm. it would have been um, Matilda. But yeah, great shout. Like, yeah. unbelievable. Simon Gleeson, going back quickly. So the reason I love him so much is because I'm a bit of a boring bastard in work. So I'm like, when we get there, I'm like, right, this has got to be like the best thing it can ever be. And I, and I learned that from Simon Gleeson because day one, rehearsals in Manila you all stand around the piano and we're going to sing the song and he got up as about and he absolutely emptied the tank was like just going for it like you know and he'd done the show for two years already in Australia so you know he could have quite easily gone up and gone you know I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna save myself you know because you know long rehearsal process la, la, la. and he just boom 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 and he just got right into it and I was like yes because when when the leading man who has more on his plate than anybody sets that benchmark no one else can go beneath that because if the guy who sings more and does more than anyone else in the show can start there, then we all have to. Do you know what I mean? And and that's why I I, I adore him. Yeah, sorry, major tangents. Amazing. Thanks, girls. Well, listen. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs>